Hello and welcome to the Lib Dem podcast and another one of our virtual conference interviews and today we are with the Lib Dems for electoral reform and specifically we are with Keith Sharp who is the vice chairman of it. How are you doing Keith? I'm doing very well John, good to talk to you. Yes, so I mean obviously electoral reform has been a kind of mainstay of the party for a long time. So would you like to give us just a little bit of information about your group, about the Lib Dems for Electoral Reform? Yeah, we're an associated organisation, so recognised organisation, you know, constitutionally set up and so on, with AGMs and uh, elected executives. Um, you, you say, though, that electoral reform is a mainstay of liberal democrat policy, and of course it is, but it's sometimes a rather um, hidden away mainstay. And uh, we see our role within the party as to, first of all, to inform members about the essentials of and like the importance of electoral reform. We have to recognize a lot of people have joined in the last three or four years, and that's great, but they will have joined for reasons like Europe and, and other things. And so while there may be support out there notionally for electoral reform, we can't expect everybody who joins to be an overnight expert. No. So there is a big information and uh, you know, co- collaboration job to be done within the party. And the other thing we want to do is to make sure that electoral reform is high up on the party's priority agenda. If you look at the last three general elections starting in 2015, uh, it was kind of hidden away. I think it's on page 83, uh, a neat little paragraph of the 2019 manifesto. We believe that it is a core principle of, of liberalism. We've got to campaign it in the right way from the point of view of the voter, but we need to be able to make sure that what we stand for is well expressed and it stands among our priorities. And a a third thing, if I may very quickly, uh, increasingly, almost since December 2019, we see there is a big job to collaborate outside of the party. What I've talked about so far is kind of within party activity. Um, We have to face the fact that we can't do electoral reform on our own. Um, It's it's an area where there has to be alliances and collaboration. And so we're looking at that in terms of other parties, but also non-party organisations such as Make Votes Matter, uh, Electoral Reform Society, where I've been heavily involved, as I said, and um, the revamped, we call it that, Unite to Reform. So there's, there's you know, two or three things that as uh, uh, an AO of the party, association of organisation, we need to be doing. So, I mean, we, I mean, we've had conversations myself and uh, Richard Kemp uh, on previous podcast episodes about how important Labour is in this uh, um, debate to try and get electoral reform. Because, putting it bluntly, the Tories will never do it because it serves them electorally to have it, as we've seen over the last hundred or so years. But Labour is the big is the big ticket. The big if, if Labour come on board, which the research suggests that three quarters of their members are wanting some sort of electoral reform. It usually helps when they've just had a drubbing like they have, but they are clearly the next target for Lib Dem cooperation in regards to electoral reform. Is that how you see it? 
Well, yeah, pretty much. Um, it needs one of the two major parties to move across to support for electoral reform. And clearly the most likely one is Labour. I was very sad that Clive Lewis got eliminated uh, early on because he was, frankly, the most articulate Labour politician on electoral reform I've heard since Robin Cook died. Mm. Um, so there are deep pockets of support for electoral reform within the Labour Party. But in the past, you can think of 1997, 1998, uh, they kind of veered away at the last moment for reasons of self-interest, or in the case of the Blair government, they had such a huge majority, they didn't think they'd ever need electoral reform from a pure party advantage basis. Uh, so we have to see what happens with the Labour Party. And we also need to think, as a party, about how we best collaborate across parties, including the Labour Party, in order to get a greater consensus for reform. And, do you, uh, and, and can I, I just can yeah. I come in there? Because it's, what's interesting is I have, I mean, I, I, I face Labour here in Preston as well, and I, and I know you're in North London, so you'll be facing Labour as well. But Ever so slightly, yeah. yeah. Um, but would you, I mean, given what you said about Tony Blair, which was right, do you believe that if Labour get a sniff of power, that they'll actually just do away with electoral reform anyway? It's certainly a possibility, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it's not just Labour UK, Justin Trudeau's Liberals in Canada yeah. got elected in 2015 on a platform of electoral reform and kind of just pushed it off to the side because they had a majority. Yeah. So, unfortunately, self-interest does kick in. And it's happened with Labour in the past. I truly, truly hope it won't happen again. But, you know, it, it's in the stars. So... We, we cannot be sure of that. Do you think? Uh, we fact, know. Do you, Sorry, go on. Do you think the fact that Labour don't have Scotland anymore to rely on means their avenues to electoral success are now less? So they may be more in time, more inclined to actually think of electoral reform. Because, and to put a question to, I put a question to the the Labour Council leader here in Preston uh, about electoral reform, and I said to him, "What would you prefer, Labour?" to be weaker in Preston or the Tories to never have a majority again? And he, he, could, he couldn't answer it. He, I mean, he, he enjoyed the question, that kind of, um, kind of uh, that ultimate dilemma and for the Labour Party. But that is the dilemma they face. They will be weaker, uh, they will hurt themselves, but they'll hurt the Tories more. I, I think, personally, I think that's right. I found the rhetoric around the general election that it's either Corbyn or Johnson to be the prime minister uh, false because yeah. it was virtually impossible to see Labour winning a majority when it can only get one seat in Scotland, yeah. which is its dilemma. And they're not close, <clears throat> they're not close to unseating the, the SNP there. So it does seem to me that... Uh, Labour can't win an outright majority at a general election without some kind of seismic change. But then a lot of Labour people are pretty tribal. Yeah. Not everybody, but some of them are pretty tribal, pretty blinkered, and just believe if they get it right, it's their turn next time. You know, the old Buggins turn syndrome. Yeah. And that's one of the issues around electoral reform. If you look at post-war, between 1945 and 1979, 
power was roughly shared between Labour and Conservative, about 17 years each. Since 1979, and if you assume that the Tories are going to be in until 2024, you're looking at 32 of 45 years of Conservatism. So the bugging turn thing no longer applies. And and do you think... Do you think that actually maybe our focus shouldn't be on Westminster, that actually getting some sort of PR system or electoral system change for local government might be the first step before we do it to Westminster? Well, looking back, if only in 2010 we hadn't gone for a a half-hearted thing like AV, but had said we want single transferable vote for local council elections in England and Wales, just as you have in Scotland, we might have been a lot. Be- we might have been a lot better off. Um, I do think so. Yes, I, I kind of agree with that. But of course, the main issue, or what drives a lot of people, is around Westminster because that's where the ultimate power lies. Mm. So I think that we should indeed be pushing for um, uh, reform in local government. But the big prize, of course, is Westminster. We shouldn't take our eyes off that. People also say, you know, what about House of Lords reform and so on? Yeah. All of that is very good. All of that makes absolute sense. Um, but, you know, the big prize is Westminster. And we shouldn't take our eyes off that, even if, and in my opinion, I've been a local councillor in my time, uh, electoral reform for local government would do wonders for the quality of democracy in yes. our local communities. The curse of safe seats. Either. Yeah. Can, I, can I ask a question? Has there been research done into areas that do have PR for local elections, say Northern Ireland, Scotland, etc.? Does that increase the, the wanting for some sort of electoral reform in Westminster? Does that correlate? Not necessarily, because you have to remember that in uh, Ireland and Scotland, they already have PR for their parliaments anyway. Uh, it's STV in Ireland. It is uh, additional member in Scotland. But uh, because they already have a, a total political system that supports proportional representation, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to, oh, in that case, we must have Westminster as well. But I think you make an important point. And I think this is key for how we go about things. Uh, We know, or at least I certainly know from donkey's years of trying, that talking electoral reform and proportional representation on the doorstep doesn't cut it. You know, Mm. people just don't relate to it. But we do know that there is huge dissatisfaction with the current political setup in this country. I think it was... The University of Cambridge said that 61% of voters in the 2019 general election were dissatisfied with the state of our democracy. And we also know, going back to Scotland and Ireland and not to mention New Zealand, that when people get a proportional system where where everybody's vote counts and counts equally, they really like it and they Mm. don't want to let go of it. So there's a lesson for us there. Dissatisfaction with the present system, uh, relatively high levels of satisfaction when people have proportional representation. You know, how how do we make that argument? We don't want to get trapped into the niceties of uh, of any electoral system. I mean, I am vehemently pro single transferable vote, 
But we can't just go and bash people over the head with the magic initials. We've got to look at where the dissatisfaction is and where the relative happiness is, where we do have proportional uh, and equal systems. So what's your, I mean, we're completely on the same page. I, I think that safe seats in both local government and in Westminster are a curse on, on democracy because it allows MPs to get away with more as long as they keep their party happy. But so, and I, I'm, I'm involved obviously in marketing, etc. So what is it uh, or how can we market electoral reform better than what we have been doing so it does cut across? Yeah, I think that is the key question. I, I've got a marketing and background, um, marketing and branding background as well. So uh, you know that, that resonates. I think that we need to talk about not what STV or PR is, but what it does for the voter and what it means for the quality of our democracy. And so that's why these days I don't talk about fair or fairer. I tend to talk about equal and proportional, and equal as in the perspective of the voter. We're liberals. We believe in the sanctity of the individual and the local community. And so our primary focus, I believe, has to become not uh, fairness to the party, although that's a, a painful topic, but a democracy, an electoral system that works from the point of view of the voter. Uh, a system which is equal in that every voter's vote counts and counts equally and leads to a proportional assembly, parliament, council, whatever it is, uh, proportional in that it reflects the way the voters voted and not just, uh, you know, a, 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 party, a party split. So for me, talking about how individual voters will uh, benefit from a change in the next system is, is key. As I say, I'd use words like equal and proportional. People do understand that some, people, some people's votes count more than others and some people's votes don't count at all, as in the safe seats. It was once pointed out to me, what does a safe seat mean? It means that the seat is safe from the voter yeah. because it is a guaranteed, you know, job for life for the MP for the MP that gets it. So I think we've got to turn this argument around and say what is in it for the voter? What is relevant to the voter? And talking about this or that electoral system isn't, but but picking up on the dissatisfaction, this feeling of being disenfranchised of some votes, you know, my vote doesn't count very much, but the guy over there in the ex constituency, her or his vote counts enormously and leading to a proportional um, assembly that reflects the way people voted as well as just the mix of parties, I think that's what we've got to try to tap into because that relates to the dissatisfaction that we're seeing with the present electoral arrangements. I mean, I mentioned the 61%. The Was it third of the electorate that said they were going to have to vote tactically? In other words, vote for somebody they didn't really want to vote for in order to stop somebody even worth getting in. So there is that dissatisfaction there. And that's what I think we need to look at. We need to look from the point of view of the voter first and the political party second. Yeah, and it's almost like, uh, 
you, you, I'm loath to say it, but a kind of, you know, uh, a kind of take back control sort of slogan is kind of where we need to be to kind of get that thing across. Because as as much, you know, when it comes to a general election, there are only a couple of topics that hit really, you know, and, and everything else is kind of in the background. So it, it's a really difficult task for for people like yourself and myself who want to push this up the political agenda. Yeah, that that's right. And uh, I mean, I often smile wryly to myself about take back control because 10 years ago, when the coalition was formed, the grassroots campaign was called Take Back Parliament. Yeah. So, woman at Cummings didn't invent this. Uh, but the essence of the people having the ultimate say over their parliament is absolutely right. We're a democracy. We're not a partyocracy, or hopefully not yet at least a, uh, even a, you know, a tyranny. Mm. Um, and democracy means for the people. We've got to look at it from the point of view of the people first. No, and the other thing that might come about with this, and it's it's an unusual when when people on diametrically opposed sides of the political spectrum come together for an issue. Because one thing that has come in recent months since the general election is that Nigel Farage wants to actually push electoral reform strongly. That's going to be his next big thing. So. It will be uncomfortable bedfellows, whatever that campaign might be, because we might have people like Farage standing on the same platform as us. I agree, and I agree that will be quite uncomfortable. Uh, I can just reflect back, though, to my time on the Electoral Reform Society Council, where for a while we had a member of UKIP on the council. And you know what? We agreed on the essentials around constitutional reform, even if we disagreed on everything else you can mm. think of. And when you're working in alliances, when you're working across parties, you have to find the common ground and try to focus on that rather than letting the, the obstacles, the obstacles in principle, get in the way. Nigel Farage, through gritted teeth, is actually quite good on electoral reform. He's quite yeah. informed and quite knowledgeable. Uh, I remember in the European elections, he was asked if the Brexit party was going to sweep the board and win, win all of the uh, uh, seats. And he said, well, with the Don counting method, that's going to be very difficult. Now, that displays a degree of knowledge <laughs> that is quite unusual. So, um, you know what? If the Farages of the world genuinely support electoral reform, then we need to find some kind of, you know, perhaps at one remove, but we need to find some way of enabling that to take place. Because if Farage can convince the, uh, you know, the natural uh, UKIP Brexit supporters of the need for electoral reform, well, all power to him. That would be very valuable for us. Um, and, and, of course, and of course, the argument then is, oh, but we don't want those Brexit Party MPs in, in um, Westminster, which would get under PR. Well, frankly, first of all, if they get the votes, you know, we may hold our hands in horror. But if they get the votes, they deserve the representation. But also, I think, if they are forced out into the open and fight on an equal basis, they will be defeated. I mean, look how 
frankly, how second-rate, I'm trying to pick my words carefully here, <laughs> how second-rate virtually everybody in UKIP and the Brexit party is once they're exposed. Let's expose them. And it was the same argument about 10 years ago about the BMP. Um, yeah. You know, it was, oh, if you have PI, you'll get more people like the BMP. Well, unfortunately, as we know, if there's a vacuum, that BMP vote then just morphed into UKIP and then the Brexit party. For it, sure. do, it doesn't for go sure. away. You have to tackle the issue that's causing people Absolutely. to vote for the BMP or the Brexit Absolutely. party or whoever. Um, but that kind of leads Absolutely. us on to the policy point of it, because a lot of the um, groups within the, the associated groups within the Lib Dems have policies they would like to see in the manifesto, things they would want to see the, the Lib Dems adopt. Now, we, you've already mentioned that the Lib Dems have adopted your preferred system of single transferable vote. So what is it you now want from the Lib Dems? Is it, like you said, is it just giving it more prominence? Giving it more prominence and understanding how to present the arguments to the public. If you go all the way back to 1992 with Paddy's first uh, leadership election, uh, he bravely put electoral reform as one of the things that, that we wanted to see, um, which was, of course, right. But what we learned from that, or hopefully we learned from that, is that just trying to sort of thrust electoral reform at people isn't going to cut it. Now, we've been through a period, really since the AV referendum of 2011, where we have fought shy of electoral reform. I mentioned it was page 83 on mm. the 2019 manifesto. Um, there are some very positive signs that the party is ready to take it seriously again. Uh, you know, we've had a wonderful spokesperson in the Lords, Paul Tyler, on this for a number of years. But since uh, Ed Davey became the acting leader, he's appointed a Commons spokesperson, Wendy Chamberlain, on the topic. Um, so we now have it as a frontline Commons uh, portfolio uh, which hasn't been the case for many years. Uh, had there been the York Conference, we'd have had a conference motion on electoral reform and single transferable vote, and we would have had uh, LDER. I was all set to do a super-duper fringe meeting uh, around <laughs> the topic with Wendy there. And so, well, we all know what happened to that, so there you go. But there are very clear signs that the party is realising that we have to take it seriously. We want to push it up that agenda. We want to push it up that agenda. And we want to help the party, Wendy Chamberlain and her team, dare I say, couch the arguments in what I call these voter-centric rather than uh, party advantage terms. Because it's at, it's at the core of liberalism that we need to be arguing. And I suppose we should actually explain, because not all listeners to this podcast will be as... Uh, into the, the, the intricacies of different voting systems. Why is it that single transferable vote, or STV, is our preferred choice? The point is that we must put people first. And the argument we make is that we need an electoral system which gives more power and choice and voice the individual voter. So if you take a preferential system like STV, it 
does allow that because the voter can choose between individual candidates of the same party as well as for this or that party. And it gives, as I've said, more power and, and voice to the individual voter. And that's really what we're about. In expressing the argument, though, I think we should be saying what is important for the voter rather than the niceties of this or that system. I'm quite a fan of the Make Votes Matter Good Systems Agreement. It's on the Make Votes Matter website if anybody wants to go and have a look at it. Okay. Where they've got, I think it's 10 points uh, about what would a good system look like. In other words, not what is the system, but what would a system do for our democracy and what would it mean for the parties and the voters? And I'm quite happy to talk about what electoral change would do and mean rather than getting into the what it is, whether it's this, that or any other system. Yeah. I happen to believe that if we go through those deliberations, we'll end up at STV because I believe it's the best system. But that's not the issue. The issue is what works best for the voter. And that's a good systems agreement. But Make Votes Matter put together with a number of parties, the Liberal Democrats have signed up to it, um, individual parts of Labour are, and all the other parties, you know, SNP, uh, Greens and so on, uh, Women's Equality Party, all signed up to it. I think that is a pretty good way to couch our argument as, as we go forward. We've got hogtied in the past in debates around this or that system. And while I have, as I've clearly expressed, my view as to what the best system is, we need to argue about it in the terms that you'll find in that good systems agreement rather than saying it's this, you know, it's this or that system. Because that, unfortunately, that turns people off. Okay. All right. Well, now, just because we're, we're getting near the end of the podcast, I'm going to give you your chance to do your two-minute kind of pitch. It doesn't have to be two minutes, but your short pitch to someone listening to this podcast as if they were going to your stall at a conference, tell us who you are, what you stand for, and how people can get in contact. Okay. Uh, we stand for promoting electoral reform within the Liberal Democrats. And the more members we have, and the more supporters we have, the more powerful we can be. We are looking at the possibility of having a roster of proportional representation speakers for local parties. Um, because obviously we can get to local parties, regional conferences and so on to talk about it. We can really spread the word. A lot of our members have only joined in the last two or three years. Can't expect them all to be experts on proportional uh, representation. So that's where joining with us, if you pay us some money as a member, we can do things like hold uh, fringe meetings at party conferences as and when they resume. If you at least sign up for our uh, supporters list, you'll get regular information from us, our newsletters which go out to you. So we're all the more powerful when we've got more members informed and knowledgeable and more members advocating. We want the party, the Liberal Democrats, to put electoral reform where it belongs high on the priority agenda. We want to help the party understand how to sell that, how to campaign that to the public. 
And we believe it's from the point of view of equality for the voter uh, and then proportionality. And we want to be able to work across parties. Uh, I've mentioned Unite for Reform, Make Votes Matter, Electoral Reform Society. We do recognise that we can't do this as a party on our own. It has to be done through alliance and collaboration. And the more party members we have who are signed up and who are knowledgeable and willing to campaign internally and externally, I said we're trying to put together a list of uh, a roster of, of speakers around the country so we can go to regional conferences and to local parties, then the more powerful we'll be at getting the argument for electoral reform properly placed within the party and hopefully with the next election, a majority of MPs who support electoral reform. Well, Keith, thank you so much for that discussion. It, it's such an important part of what we believe in as Lib Dems and, and having making sure people like yourself are keeping the party honest and keeping it promoting such an important issue for not just our party but for the country and i really appreciate you taking the time and uh, and allowing to come on the podcast today thank you very much john uh, and i i know you've got a website but you've also the people can find you on facebook at, at lib dems for electoral reform uh, so please go check out, please uh, like the page, go chat with them. And just if you do want to join them, please do, because it is a key part of uh, of Lib Dems campaigning in the future. Um, all I want to do is say thank you very much, Keith. Really appreciate it. Do look after yourself and just really appreciate all the time you've taken today to speak to us. Well, John, thanks for the interest and thanks for plugging the Facebook page. Our website is lder.org. So I hope we'll be able to take a look at that as well. But, John, thank you very much. It's been a, a, a really interesting discussion. And that's all from this episode of the Lib Dem Pod. Don't forget you can catch everything regarding the Lib Dem Pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at, at Lib Dem Pod. You can follow myself at, at John Potter LD. Do like us, do subscribe, do share us around so uh, more people can uh, hear from us and hear all these extra virtual conference interviews that we'll be doing. Thank you once again for, to Keith for being on this week and we will be back with another episode very soon.